We are in the middle of an amazing um, series called Developing a Discipling Culture. It's not, a, that's good, yeah, yeah it's fine. Um, it's, it's, it's been a, a great journey. Um, it's kind of what we all should be doing anyway. We should all be striving to be disciples who make disciples. Um, if we should be good at anything <laughs> as a church, we should be good at making disciples. And I know that that's not always the sexiest message. It's not always hot on the topics of, you know, Charisma Magazine or whatever. But it is really the last, the last message Jesus gave was to be a culture who creates and makes disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Basically, he's saying, you're transitioning. Here's what I want you to do. I mean, if your master said, when I leave, if I could leave one message with you, this would be it. He said, I want you to make disciples. And I want you to help them transition by dying to the system they're in and coming to life in the new system, which is the kingdom of God. And so basically we say, well, we're making disciples by getting people saved and baptizing them. That is not the message Jesus was saying at all. We make disciples by helping them transition from one kingdom or one system to the new kingdom. That's baptism. In Jewish culture, every, every time a change in someone's life, they would just get baptized. Hey, you graduated baptism, bar mitzvah baptism, mishnah baptism. You know, they just five years old baptized, eight years old baptized, 12 years old baptized. It wasn't unusual for them because there's a picture of leaving one part of their life behind and raising in life. So I just, I constantly feel like we've got to be reminded of what Matthew 28 is really saying. You know, it's not this, it's not the structure, which we so as the American church gets so good at, we're so good at structure that we forget the spirit behind it. We're so good at, 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 at kind of mimicking Jesus' models. Okay, so we're going to go heal people with mud on their eyes because that's what Jesus did. So we do that. Or we anoint oil on little cloths and we mail them out and you pay me 20 bucks and you'll, you, you know, you'll be healed. We do that because that's, the, that's a structure of something Jesus decided to use, but it's not the spirit in which he used behind it. So let's, let's do a quick review here. Let me turn my thingy on here. There we go. Hey, you got that plugged in, Johnny? Okay. No. 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 Whatever. All right. Tonight we're going to talk. Last week, if you could left, if you left with one message, what was it? You guys remember? What's that? Person of peace. Yes. Find your person of peace. And Jesus said to lift up your eyes. Remember that? To lift up your eyes. Become awake, aware, and alive to the people that are all around you. I want to ask you this week, have you run into a person of peace? Anybody? Anybody run into a person of peace this week? Carl, tell me about it quickly. Yeah, okay. And, and, and just lift your eyes. Person of peace. Isn't that amazing? Anybody else? Did you have a person of peace this week? Somebody that just kind of connected with you? Ted. Oh, right on. Incredible. Exactly. That's all. That, that was your. That was your position that day. I'm a planner. I'm a planner. I might be a waterer next time. I might be a planner again. I don't know. Anybody else run into a person of peace this week? 
Stephanie, don't call me. Don't call me. Stephanie. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Well, listen, that's what our goal is. Remember the prayer. Father, lead me to my person of peace. Lead me to somebody who is willing and ready to receive the message of the kingdom and the king. Very simple. But to do that, one of the things we have to do is lift up our eyes. In other words, just become aware of people that are at your job, people that are at your school, people that are at your church, people that are at your people that are at your at your uh, at your at, at, when you're at the grocery store, people that are at the gas station. Lift up your eyes and become aware. Oh, are we ready? Oh, yes, yeah, sweet. All right, here we go. Okay, quick review. Right, we got a student. There's three areas of discipleship: a student, the apprentice, and the master. The student seeks information. This is good. The apprentice seeks imitation. And the master seeks innovation. Can I say that again? So the student, you're like, well, we're reading it. That's okay. Let me talk to you. Now, the student seeks information. So the student is like, can you just teach me? I lecture. Seeking information. The student seeks information. The apprentice is now going to imitate the master. He wants to get his hands on something. She wants to practice something. He wants to do, he wants to see what his master's done and he wants to see if he can duplicate it. He wants to imitate. But see, a master innovates. He takes what the student and the apprentice have and he kind of creates his own way of doing it. Isn't that good? The church, initially in Acts chapter 2, just did what they saw their master do. They just imitated what he did. But you see, as the church grows through the book of Acts, that they begin to innovate. They begin to kind of become into their own, and they're like, I think this is okay. I think that we can do this this way. This is the three levels of discipleship, the student, the apprentice, and the master. We kind of taught it backwards, but it's still pretty good. The next one, check this out, the circle of discipleship. So we have a student seeking information. You see at the top there. He moves on to a place of imitation, which is the apprentice. The apprentice moves on to a mastership, which is innovation. In other words, he's developing his own way of doing things. I can relate to this so well, being in the trades. I, I, first of all, I had to read the book, right? I got to read the manual. I have to get the information. I had to become an apprentice. I just watched. I got my hands dirty a little bit, and I was able to do that. And then I was able to innovate. So my style of operating this machinery was a little different than the master who taught me. I had my own little way of doing things. I had found shortcuts. I had found better ways of uh, cleaning out a hopper, let's say, or I found better ways of setting up. And I had just found little, little things that made my way different. Now, when I taught, it still had the right information. I still had the right imitation, but my innovation was a little different. I've become a master at what I did. And finally, a master's whole goal, I was thinking about this tonight, Donovan, as drums like he is a master drummer somebody say amen all right now the master drummer something inside the master that wants to reproduce what he has into somebody else hence the circle of discipleship and then the master moves on from reproduction he then he begins the information cycle does that make sense then then the master begins to teach read bibles and we're really good at asking you to pray. And we're really good at asking you to sing and raise your hands and perhaps even clap. And we may even ask you to do a little jig from time to time. I mean, just, you know, just, I don't know, it may happen. And that's okay. And we, we're good at that. We're good at the structure of things. But what we fail to do is give you the spirit behind it. 
And it's all in the context in the circle of discipleship. So you come to church and we, we assume a lot of things too, don't we? Well, I assume that Donovan knows how to pray. Did you know the disciples were immersed in a prayer culture and they still didn't know how to pray? They had asked their master, please teach us how to pray because we don't know how. Isn't that amazing? Although they were immersed, the Eastern culture was very prayerful, very meditation, a lot of meditation, a lot, a lot of um, uh, um, just cultivating the spirit in them, and yet they asked their master, teach us how to pray. It doesn't matter if you go to church, you still may not even have a clue how to make disciples. And I think really that is the case in most of our churches today. I know it is, in my life, so this is why we're, we're going through this. Everybody good here? Circle of discipleship. The master always has a high invitation and high challenge. The master always creates a culture where we have access to him, immersed in his culture, and invited to be empowered. Here's the stink. What is going on? Stinky. The master always has that. We have, um... Johnny, what happened? Oh, well. So we have the quadrant. You guys remember the quadrant? We've been talking about the quadrant for the last four weeks. We have a high invitation culture. We have a high empowerment culture, or a high challenge culture, and that creates a high, a high challenged environment. And it creates a high challenge culture. You can just change it manually if you want, John. Okay, thank you. Um, there's other, other cultures. We have high challenge and low invitation. It's very frustrating. Maybe a lot of our jobs are like that. We have a hot, high challenge, but low invitation. And the invitation, you guys know what the invitation is, right? It's just an invitation to be a part of my life. It's doing what I do anyway. It's coming and enjoying what I'm doing and, and inviting you to do what I'm doing. If I'm going to the grocery store, the master would invite his students to come to the grocery store. If I'm, if I'm working on a project, the master would invite his students to come work on a project. If the, if the student is looking for seek, seeking help, the master would say, yes, come on in. You can, you can have access to me. There we go. Thank you. In discouraged culture, boring culture, the cozy culture. We want to live in the empowered culture. Okay, so what do we... This statement, last week it was lift up your eyes. This week it's follow me. This is the fundamental beginning of discipleship. Now, I want you to, I want you to just track with me for a minute. Any time that Jesus said this, it was transforming in the hearts of the people that he said it to. And I'm going to we'll walk through this tonight. Follow me. What does it mean? What, what, what were so powerful about the words that Jesus said, follow me, that it would make, make men leave their career, make men jump out of boats, make men leave their tax collection booths filled with money, make men just walk away from whatever they knew, make men walk away from their zealot lifestyle, make men walk away from their their uh, caves and their coves and their wives and their families. What was so powerful about this phrase that it would transform the lives of men? Let's walk through that tonight. The fundamental step that we need to understand is Jesus was, wasn't a carpenter. Okay, so I'm going to blow your mind a little bit. Maybe not. You're probably pretty educated. We have always heard that Jesus was just poor carpenter guy and you know made, made little tables and chairs for people and, and he walked around with his little tool belt, his little hammer and you know, just kind of had his little sandals on and he, you know, tinkered away and made, you know, made furniture. I mean, I guess how I grew up, that's kind of the flannel graph I remember. You know, Jesus was, I just dated myself, right? Flannel graph. Anybody remember flannel? Okay. Um, Jesus wasn't a carpenter. That's what Joseph did. Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph, that was his trade, was to work probably with stone, not even wood, but nevertheless. 
Uh, Jesus was the next rabbi with authority. Like every young Hebrew boy, Jesus did not uh, was, was ingrained and Jesus wanted to be a rabbi. That's what every young Hebrew boy wanted to be. Their dream job, their father's dream job for them was to be a rabbi. And so immediately when they begin their birth, they begin their cycle, they begin their life, their life, they begin to be trained in the arts of being a rabbi. Jesus was the next rabbi with authority, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. He, like every other Hebrew boy, was trained to be a rabbi. Matthew 7, verse 29 says this, For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law. He taught with real authority. So what was Jesus doing? Was he learning how to make tables? Or was he learning how to be a rabbi? Check this out. At five years of age, one is ready for the study of the Scripture. At ten years of age, one is fit for the study of the Mishnah. Mishnah is just a repetitious quoting of the, of the Talmud, the Torah, Mishnah. is just a speaking and repeatedly, speaking repeatedly, speaking repeatedly. Listen, you're five years old and you're quoting or learning how to quote the Old Testament at the time. Isn't that fascinating? That's the Mishnah. The Mishnah, at the age of 13 for Bar Mitzvah, at the age of 15 for the study of the Talmud, at the age of 18 for marriage, at the age of 20, watch this, for pursuing a vocation, and at the age of 30 for entering into one's full vigor. It's from an ancient Hebrew writing. Evor 521. Evat, sorry. Isn't that amazing? What, when, when did Jesus show up on the scene? 30 years old. Entering into his vigor, his fullness of life. When did Jesus was found at the temple? Luke 2.49 says this, But why did you need to do this search, he tells Joseph and Mary? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? Or didn't you know I must be in my father's house, one translation says? Every Hebrew boy that could not pass the test at 12 years old would automatically be ushered into and begin to be trained in his father's trade. Are you tracking with me? So Jesus is so fascinating. His parents go, there. he's 12 years old, he's in the temple, and he's, he's reciting back to the elders and to the priests and teachers of the day, the Talmud. Basically, he's ahead of schedule. He's smart. He's brilliant. He gets it. It's what he was created for. Be a rabbi with authority. Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph come back. You know, you guys know they came back. They're looking for him. Dude, where you been? What do you, what do you, why do you seek, why do you feel like you've got to find me? Didn't you know I would be in my father's vocation? Are you tracking with me? Didn't you know? But, but to them, they must have said, well, your father, Joseph, oh, carpenter, wait a minute, birth by the Holy Spirit. Yes, okay, forgot about that. Didn't you know I must be in my father's vocation? Didn't you know it must be about what my father told me to do? When, when it says the father's house, literally meant in his authority. Didn't you know I was in my father's authority? Didn't you know I was in my father's place of business? Didn't you know I was in my father's place of vocation? This is where I'm supposed to be, Merit mom. Mary, mom, <laughs> Joe, it was such a prophetic moment for not only Jesus and Mary, or Joseph and Mary, but also for Jesus, for people to hear what he was saying. Listen to this. He's telling his dad, his natural uh, uh, foster dad, I don't know, what do you call Joseph? You know, the stepdad? I don't know. Uh, Joseph, he's telling Joseph, dad, Joseph, 
I am not going to do your business because my father, I'm going to do what my father did. But it's good news. Because even though you're my natural dad and you're a carpenter, it's other people who, who have no chance at all can still come into their greatness. They, they don't, they're not stuck anymore, Dad. They don't have to just follow in the steps of their father, even though they might have failed at Krishna, even though they might have failed at Bar Mitzvah, even though they might have failed at Talmud, even though they might have failed at 12, 16, 18 years old. It's good news, Dad. I'm about my father's business. Even though everybody around me think that, thinks that I should become a carpenter, I'm really speaking with authority. Let's talk about that. Authority. They said, we've never heard someone speak with this such authority. The Hebrew word is shmika. Shmika. It literally means this, to be authorized. This is, I love this. This is going to make so much sense in just a minute. <laughs> or one who can be relied on. When someone spoke with authority, it wasn't that they spoke loud. It wasn't that they spoke fear into someone. It wasn't that they kind of knew what they were talking about. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's still information. When someone spoke with authority, it was someone who could be counted on. It was a person that you knew you could rely on. That's authority. We're, we're always looking for the next authority, right? Christians are always looking for the next person to hang your hat on. Oh, man, the, the Robinson clan, they're my next of speaking with authority, I promise you they're going to fade away. The only true authority you can hang your life on is Jesus Christ. Hang your hat on that peg. He's the one who will never let you down. He's the one who will never go off the air. Come on, somebody. He's the one that doesn't matter if they sue him or not. He's the one that doesn't matter if they or not. He's the one that will remain forever. Hang your hat on that. One who can be relied on. Well, check this out. The time was right for Jesus. Gamaliel and a guy named Ananias were two rabbis with Smika. They were two rabbis of the time that had authority. According to Hebrew custom and law and tradition, they never went without a rabbi with authority. They were waiting for the next rabbi with authority. They were waiting for the next guy to show up and say, I have authority. I, can, I am one that will lead you into your paths of goodness and righteousness. I'm the one that will lead you into the right way of living. I'm the one that will lead you to life. It was natural for them. They were looking for the next rabbi with authority. And Jesus literally was spoken of and, and when he was 12 years old. We don't teach like the other guys do. You teach with authority. One that can be relied on. And you're like, well, how does this all make sense, Lon? What, is it, what does it matter? It was the call of a lifetime. When Jesus said, follow me, what, did he, what was he really saying? When he walked by the tax collector and he said, hey, Matthew, follow me. When Peter and James were in the boat, he said, hey, follow me. When he saw the zealot and Bar, 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 or Bartholomew or, and whoever, all, all the 12 guys, hey, follow me. What do you hear and what did they hear? What do you hear when someone says, follow me? I think we would say, as Jonathan said tonight, where are we going? They, wouldn't, they would never ask Jesus where they're going. They would never ask Jesus why. They would never ask Jesus, uh, if you'll just give me a minute and let me wrap up my fishing duties. 
And by the way, did you ever wonder why all the dads of all these guys never really got mad or you never heard about that? Because the dads were so excited that the son got to fulfill the dream of a lifetime. What is your dream job? Jessica, what's your, what, if anybody could say, what do you wake up in the morning and you cannot wait to do? What would it be? Anything come to mind? I'm a writer. Okay. So, I'm a master writer. Okay? I'm, I don't know, John Grisham. I don't know if he's a master writer, but... <laughs> okay, so whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, oh, I know who I am. I'm uh, Donald Miller. Even better. You don't know who that is either. Uh, oh, you know John Grisham is. Okay. So, so, watch this. Jessica, what do you do? You're a CPA or something? CNA? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can change jobs. Okay, you just change jobs. Okay. So what if, what if John Grisham comes in the room? John, whoa, how's it going? He, go, he walks right up to Jessica, and he says, Jess, follow me. What would you do? I mean, just naturally. What's the first thing that come to mind? I'm not trying to test you or make you fail or anything. Okay, sure, sure, teach me, right? Because you know the authority he walks in. You know his track record. You know he's, already, he's got a million bestsellers or whatever. You know that's his character. Right? If LeBron James walked in and said, follow me, like, whoa, where are we going, dude? I don't really want to be a basketball player. I mean, maybe that... Oh, oh Jed, Jed, Jed would follow him. <laughs> okay. Um, what did it mean for a young... I just want to make a point. Hey, Lucas, if Skrillex walked in the door and said, I want to make you my apprentice, What would you say? Yeah, I will see you later. As a father, because I have such passion for my son's desire, the father's never said, get back here, finish your job. Now, I'd probably encourage him to finish school, but, but they would never say, Jess, get back here. He doesn't know what he's doing. No, as a father, they see the passion and, and desire in their children's eyes. When the master would come and say, follow me, even the dads knew that every one of their dreams was going to come true. See, these guys were all in their daddy's trade. They had, they had failed at five years old. They didn't pass the test, or 12 years old. They, they couldn't pass the test. They couldn't go, you know, when a rabbi or a teacher would say, hey, find me where we're supposed to sacrifice two doves um, instead of one in the case of the month of, you know, Avril, and, um, and they would have to know exactly where that scripture was and quote it. If they couldn't do that, you failed. Is this all making sense? So Jesus is on the scene, right? And he's, he's not going to the local colleges to find all of his best recruits. He doesn't have all the college recruits out there looking for the next rabbis that he can train. He goes to the common people. He goes to the Jesses and the Lucases and the, and the Jens and the Carls, and he says, hey, you, you want to follow me? What, what, were they, what they were hearing wasn't simply the words follow me, it was their dream job. When a rabbi would speak to a son or a student or a man, and he said those words, they automatically knew that every one of their dreams were going to come true. So you want to be a writer. And you know that the course of writing isn't that easy. A lot of failures, there's a lot of, a lot of people going to accuse you, they're going to criticize you, they're going to write you because you 
But that's okay, because when you know you're following a master, you know that everything you've ever desired is going to come true. And not only that, how much are you in debt? You don't have to answer that. Your master say, how much you, I'm going to pay your debt off. Where does your family live? I'm going to take care of them as well. Do you guys track with me? How awesome it was to hear the words, follow me. When Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, well, no wonder they dropped their nets and ran. Heck yeah, man, that's my dream job. Sweet. Yes. I get out of this mess. I love you, Dad, but he just said, follow me. Dad's like, go, son, go, we got this. I don't know if we've ever really stopped and paused because we're like, well, Jesus must have just pushed, pushed the magic button, right? That was easy. Click, click. Follow me. I mean, we're going to find out here that Jesus even had to find his people of peace. It was a dream job. Every one of your needs are going to be met. Every one of your family needs are going to be met. And we can get into the way the Jews gave. <laughs> Their rabbis were filthy rich, but it wasn't to heap wealth upon themselves. It was to always take care of their disciples. See, see how we missed this? We made these mega men and these mega women, these filthy rich people. It's just so upside down. It was never so that you could amass wealth, your, uh, wealth yourself. It was always so that you could bless your disciples. Man, you know what my dream would be? Take my boys. Say, what's your mortgage? Let me pay it off. Who does that? Hey, what's your car loan? Let me pay it off. Jessica, John Grisham walks in. He's a master writer. He's going to take care of you in every way possible. He's going to take care of every financial need. He's going to take care of every, every debt you might have. That is what these guys heard. They didn't hear, hey, are we going to lunch? <laughs> oh, that's cool. And then I've got to go back to fishing. You know? No, they heard, oh my gosh. My dream job just came in. How could Matthew leave all that money in his collector booth and just walk away? Because it was pennies compared to what he had just encountered. So it wasn't only the physical needs were going to be met, but all the spiritual needs, all the spiritual covering was going to be met. Because a rabbi would and provide for you emotionally. Uh, uh, financially, he would also provide your spiritual covering. That's why guys would walk around so close to their rabbi. They wanted all the dust to fly up on their jackets because that was their covering. They wanted the dust of the rabbi to be on them. So they would walk real close and the sandals would always kick up the dust and whoever had the most dust on their... It wasn't about being clean, by the way. It was about being the dirtiest. Who could ever be the most dusty was the most spiritual. They were the closest to the rabbi. Is this good? <laughs> I love this stuff. Matthew 6, 31, verses 31 through, uh, 6, 31-33. So he says to them, remember, he's reminding them. They've been with him for a couple months now, and he says, hey, fellas, don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of those who don't believe or those who are not my disciples. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and you will, he will give you everything you need. Let me remind you whose you are. You're not only my disciples physically, you're His children spiritually. So don't worry about your house. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your, your next meal. Don't worry about your sandals. Don't worry about your cloak. 
You will always have everything you need because I'm your daddy. Because I'm your rabbi with shmika. I'm your rabbi with authority. I'm your rabbi that can be relied upon. Man, we got to pray that, right, Jesus? You're my, my, my brother, my soon-coming bride, but you're the guy I can rely on. It's good for our young ladies to hear. You're the guy I can rely on. You're the guy that's never going to fail. You're the guy that's never going to let me down. You're the guy that's never going to break my heart. You can be relied on. <sighs> Follow me? You betcha. <laughs> Where we go, it doesn't matter. Watch this. Number three. The rich young ruler in Peter. This is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 18 through 29. Who has the Bible open? Something. I wanted to read that tonight. If you got it, open it up. Because it's important for you to see some of the language that is being said here. Very important. Whenever you got to start reading. Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, 19, sorry. Uh, I don't know. 19. That's not right. Try Luke 18. It's 8? 18. Sorry, guys. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Laura. Yeah, why not? Just. Well, what do you say? Follow me. Pause there for just a moment. You guys know the story. Rich young ruler comes up. He's got all the answers. Man, he's he, he won the lot. I don't know where he came from. Long line of wealth. Whatever. It's fascinating to me. And I never saw this before until we went through this series. We talked about finding your people of peace. Jesus uses the same phrase for the rich young ruler as he did for all the other guys. Come and follow me. He was simply saying, I'm one that can be relied upon, but you cannot have another source that you're relying on except for me. And then he says, that's why it's so hard for rich people to come to the kingdom of God because they're always relying on another source. You can't serve two masters. You have to serve one master. One master. So he says the same words to the rich young ruler. And I don't know if his omnipotence was, or his omnipotence, Omniscience was flowing through here. I don't know if he knew what his answer was going to be. We just don't know. Jesus was fully human. I believe he was fully human. I think he was like, are you my person of peace here, rich young ruler? Great. Hey, man, you've, you've kept all the commandments. Wow, that's hard to do. There's a lot of commandments. And you've, and you've done right. You honored your father and your mother, and you never missed the Sabbath, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, 
the only thing that I require to be your master is for you to never have another source of dependence. I must be your complete source of life. So go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He wasn't saying, you know, you got to be poor to follow me. He was simply saying, you are relying on another source right now to be your master. And I have to be your master. If you want to follow me, I'm inviting you into my life. My life of immersion. I am a rabbi with, with authority. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to, I'm going to, you're, I will take care of everything you ever need. But you have to let go of what you're relying on. Go ahead, Laura. Okay, Peter, what? So, so here's Peter, right? He's like, hey, I want to get on this because we did a lot, right? We, we left everything. And Jesus, can you imagine the scene? Can, I just, can you kind of put yourself in that, that little scene right there? Peter, really? You left a fishing boat. <laughs> and I know how much fishermen make. You didn't leave a whole lot for me, son. He was just trying to get into the... Well, uh, my version says, well, Jesus, we left all. <laughs> really? In other words, you say, see, we did good. We, we left everything we had. And Jesus again is saying, fellas, I have to remind you again. If you, you, yes, you did, Peter. Well done, son. You left your little boat and your nest. Nice job. All right. Happy, happy day. Uh, but don't worry because you're going to get houses back. You're going to get land back. You're going to get everything back in this life with suffering and then one to come. So I'm not only going to take care of you here, I'm going to take care of you there. Isn't that good? God, that's good. Follow me. The ruler couldn't receive the message, follow me. He, was, he had another crutch. He had another source of life. Does this all kind of make sense now when Jesus said you can't serve two masters? You either serve the one and leave the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or, or money or material things because God, Jesus Christ, must be your only source. That's what he always asks. Watch this. Okay, so the ruler trusted the wrong thing and the ruler... By the way, the ruler had no needs. Richard Rohr said that the gospel is for the needy. Masters always create a culture of need. Did you ever notice that? Although they have everything you need, they always create a culture of need. You know, they always make you fast. They always make you go hungry. They always make you work hard. They always make you, uh, um, uh, you know, do things that you wouldn't normally do on your own. That's what good coaches do. That's what good leaders do. They push you to a place that you on your own would not go. They, they provoke a need in you so you're constantly reliant on the Master. To follow the Master, one must have complete dependence upon Him. 
Because the master creates a condition of need for the student to learn complete trust in him. Check this out. Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you, same word, in the other context. I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. He said to another person, Come, what? Follow me. The man agreed. Oh, Jesus is like a person of peace. I got me, I got 13. Sweet. I mean, we're not, you know, how we land on 12? We have 12 people peace. Of course, we know it represents government, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, whatever. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. It sounds so harsh, doesn't it? Jeez, Jesus, that was kind of mean. You could have said that a little nicer, right? I mean, it does, doesn't it, to you? Or is it just me? You always are like, oh, it's all spiritual, right? Does that sound harsh to you? To me, it's like, geez, could you give him a little break? And he just wants to go say goodbye to his dad. <laughs> I mean, we can get into a lot of history here. We won't take the time to do it. This is the most important phrase of this passage. Foxes have dens to live in. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his Head. What do you think he's saying there? Anybody? Except Colin and Michael. Yes, that's what I said. I'm on the move. Yeah, you're right. Very transient. Come on, my girl, we're going. Not concerned about it? Yeah. Anybody else? What's your, what are your thoughts? That's good, Laura. Um, and you're really, really close. They're all really close. You know what he's saying here? I have no place to reproduce my authority. You're like, how in the world did you get that out of that? Foxes have dens. What do foxes have dens for? That's where they reproduce. Birds have nests. What are the nests for? The nests are for one thing. It's just to lay your eggs. It's for reproduction. The Son of Man has no place... What's authority? Top, head. The word here is head, top, mountain. Your, your high place. I have no place for my high place to reproduce. That's what a Hebrew would hear. Oh, well, I'll follow you. Well, okay, great. Come on, let's, here's how I reproduce. That's why, Laura, you're dead nut. Because the way living isn't what you do. Shut up. My way of living isn't what you're used to. My way of living, you guys are still tied, basically he's saying you're still tied to another source of dependence. Well, let me go bury my mom and dad. Look, your mom and dad are fine. You know, you're 22. They're 30. They're, you're, I mean, well, 30. <laughs> I, uh, you're, you're too young. Don't worry about that. What he's literally, literally saying is, you know, they could die in 40 years. Wait to follow until all this stuff unravels in your life. Jesus t 
tells us the same message. Follow me. I'm one that can be relied on. Well, Jesus, as soon as my pension comes in, we'll be good. I'll retire and we'll be good, right? As soon as my kids grow up and get away to college, then, then I can do it. As soon as I really make my break, then I know I can trust you and follow you. As soon as my son graduates and my daughter gets <coughs> you know, out of the home, whatever, then we can really, we can really do it. Jesus is like, dude, you are missing the point. You're caught up in a system that is not mine. It's not my system. Meanwhile, Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or sons or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Jesus is still kind of working on Peter here. We have a couple instances where Jesus is looking for his people of peace. And he's literally saying to them, Jess, follow me. <sighs> same words the other 12 heard. The same phrase, the same meaning, the same power, the same anointing was on those words. And Jess says, eh, I'm following Grisham. How many books have you written? Yeah, none. So I'm, I'm going to go with this guy. Does this make sense? Jesus is looking for even his people of peace. Those who would answer the call to follow me. Follow me. I'm one that can be relied upon. I'm one that can speak with authority. I'm one that will take care of you. I'm one, oh man, I gotta, I gotta you know, file some papers. I gotta go clean my room. And, you know, Jesus is asking us that tonight. Are you going to follow me? Guys, listen. If we're gonna be a discipling culture, we have to be one that's totally reliant upon the Master. If we can't be relying upon the Master in His ways, then He's going to say, well, go bury your dead. But you guys aren't fit. Well, he's not saying that you're not saved. He says you're not fit. He's not saying you're going to hell. He's saying you need, you need to get in shape because you're not fit. So you need to work out your frustrations, your doubts, and come to me and understand that I am completely, here's the reliable. I am 100% bona fide reliable. If we're going to be a discipling culture, we have got to hear the words, follow me, and just watch Jesus' way and follow him. And many followed him on the way. And many followed him. Are we followers of him? Or are we like these people? Hey, just, to, just let me get, let me do my thing. Let me get my career up and running. Let me go, you know, oh, yeah, I'd love to, to follow you, Jesus, but I got some stuff going on. And let me just say this as well. You do not have to clean your life up to follow Jesus. Come on. You do not have to say, man, as soon as I get rid of my porn addiction, Jesus, I'm yours. Man, as soon as I get rid of my alcoholism and my, my pot, then I'm yours. As soon as I get rid of my, my anger and my gossip, then, then I'll be all yours, Jesus. Let me just get rid of that first. You know that those boys heard follow me, they were smelled like fish. They were disgusting. They've been working all day. They jumped out of their boats and they just followed him. There was no need. Hey, can I go take a shower first? No, follow me. Hey, can I go get cleaned up first? Can I hit the altar 70 times first? No, follow me. I want your stuff. I, I'm your rabbi. I'm reliable. I'll take care of you. Give me it all. Okay, 
I smell like fish, man. I don't care. Dude, I just, I just killed a guy on the road and I'm all bloodied up. I wish I would have been able to clean that up. That's okay, zealot. Come follow me. Man, I just stole from those guys. I, these guys just brought their fish to me. I overtaxed them. They hate me. It's okay. Follow me. Is this making sense tonight? Jesus is that. Follow me. Just, just as you are. Don't Stop worrying about the stuff that you've got to put your hand back to. Stop worrying about the stuff you think you've got to clean up. Stop worrying about the stuff you think you've got to finish. Just follow me. His person of peace. A simple phrase with a tremendous amount of meaning is follow me. It's this. This is our challenge, I suppose, if we were to wrap this up tonight. Our trust is in the Master. No one can serve two Masters. Um, my mentor told me that the eagle that chases two rabbits always goes hungry. Have you heard that before? Or is that just, you just didn't get it? <laughs> You've heard it before. The eagle that chases two rabbits always goes hungry. In other words, he ha- cannot um, chase two things and be successful at it. Of course, I've been doing that a lot. I think I would learn by now. There's a, the line in uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Anybody know Sweet Home Alabama? You know, you can't, you can't ride two horses with one butt, sugar beans or something. I can't remember the line. But, but it makes so much sense, right? You got one butt, you got one saddle, you got one horse. Ride it. My buddy uh, posted something today on Facebook. And it was simply pursue that which you are best at and everything else will fall into place. You know, Jesus is asking the same thing. If you'll just pursue me, if you just follow me, everything else, homes, career, money, guys, marriage, women, relationships, children, finances, school, it will all fall in place. Follow me. Don't, by the way, guys, don't follow money. Don't chase money. Let money chase you. How does that happen? I follow him. He's my source. He's my, my reliable guy. He's my guy. Follow me. Number two, our needs are met by the master. We talked on that. Number three, our future is held by the master. We touched on that. Uh, and uh, our focus is on the Master. No man can serve two. Follow me. Why don't you stand with me tonight? Uh, man, this is good stuff. Um, you all right? You good? Oh. Hey, how come we got two pianos up here tonight? Okay. All right, listen. Here's the challenge. We've got to become people. If, if, again, if this is a discipleship culture, and I really believe this is what God's calling us to be, it's going to be slow, it's going to be arduous, and I don't care. It's, it's going to be fun because we're inviting each other into each other's lives. In a culture like this, you're going to find people that want to be around you because it's sincere to feel. In a culture like this, you're going to be around people that, man, you know that they're not perfect, but they're following the reliable one. You know, in a culture like this, you're going to say, man, those guys are just, they're the purple cow of the city. They just do things weird. they got tables set up in the church. I don't get it, whatever. It's okay. Because, and we're not, by the way, we're not being different for different sake. Hey, let's be different. <laughs> you know, it's like, the old, it's like the old iPhone commercial. They put the earphone on the bottom. 
who cares, right? We're not trying to be different for different sake. I want to be a discipler. I really do. I want to stand in front of Jesus and say, well done. Have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did what I told you to do. You discipled people. And it might be two, you know, but if it's two, it's two. At least I knew that I used my gifts and talents to the best of my ability. And we discipled two guys. Praise God. Come on in, son. Well done. Well done. Don't get hung up on numbers. Don't get hung up on structure. Um, we're going to go be going, going through some models and things like that. Don't be hung up on that. It's about the spirit behind it. Tonight, before we get into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to become a discipling culture, we had to understand two things. Number one, find your people of peace. Lift up your eyes. Look up. I mean, we live with our eyes down. Look up. Oh, there's people there. Oh, people. Secondly, have you heard Jesus say, follow me? Not in some sort of guilt-ridden salvation message where you're going to go to hell if you walk out these doors and get hit by a truck. But in a way that says, I want you to be part of me. I want to be your reliable guy. Jesus is saying, I want, I want to be your master. He even offered it to people and they turned him down. Let's just search your heart tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And, and just for three minutes, search your heart. Ask, ask the Lord, do I really follow you? Have I followed religion? Have I followed a, the system? Do I really rely on you for everything? Are you my source? Are you my guy? Have I been caught up in the, the system of things? <clears throat> Look in the hallways of your heart tonight. Maybe some of you just need to be refreshed by the Spirit. Just pray. Father, refresh me. Return me back to that first love, which is you. Return me back, not to the grind of life, but to the joy and freedom I have in my reliable guy. Turn me back to the, to the, to the love and the, and the passion that I have for you. Not in works and deeds, but in spirit and in joy and in unspeakable ways. Turn our hearts back, Father. We repent tonight simply saying, I'm turning from one system and following another.
I just feel like the Lord is saying tonight, especially this message again, just brought it back to my memory, but just, can you just trust Him? Can you, can you just trust Him? I know you've been dropped. And, and I got the picture of Mephibosheth when he was in the, in the care of somebody who was supposed to take care of him. And that, that caregiver dropped him and broke both of his legs and he was paralyzed the rest of his life. And I feel so many times that is our church that you've come from a place that was supposed to care for you and you got dropped and your legs are broken and you feel like you're paralyzed, like you just aren't worth anything anymore and you can't do anything and you can't be used. And you can't. How do I follow Jesus? I'm broken. Let me just encourage you tonight. The King, David, came and rescued that boy and he put him at the table in a place of honor and he said, you'll never want for anything again. You know what he was saying? Follow me. Follow me. I know you've been broken. I know you've been dropped. I know you didn't pass your test at five years old. I know it was your dream job. I know you didn't get it. I know, I know people have let you down. I know you've been hurt. I know people that you thought would care for your soul has dropped you. But if you'll trust me and get out of your boat and follow me, I'll take care of you for the rest of your life. You'll never need another thing. It's your heart tonight. Sometimes it's my heart. Sometimes it's me. Follow me. Okay, Jesus. I trust you. I trust you. That's your prayer tonight. Just put your hand on your heart. Say, Jesus, I'll follow you. I can't fix my legs. I can't fix my life. I can't overcome my addiction. I can't. I can't. I, I, I've tried. I, all the steps don't work. I don't know what to do. So I'll just get out of my boat and let you rescue me for the rest of my life. I'll follow you. If that's you tonight, just say those words. I will follow you. I will follow you. My reliable man, my guy, I'll follow you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name and all the authority that's associated with heaven. We seal it into our hearts. Repent, forgive, release, turn around and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.